I thought I talked quickly. Then I heard the children's song. Let's turn and sing once more time. One again. We all have goals in life. If I was to ask you the question, what is your goal in life? I wonder what you would say. Well, here are some top goals that people often have. Their career. A high priority is often to develop in your chosen profession. And employers know this. And so they tell potential recruits how they will be challenged and developed if they come and work for their firm or organisation. Or it could be to travel and see the world. Maybe you could see yourself buying some Lonely Planet travel books and bypacking around the world for the next 12 months. Seeing a different city each day and not washing for days on end may sound absolutely wonderful. And it sounds great to me. Or possibly, a goal you have is to get fit. To get body beautiful. Dr. Susan Jett, who is a consultant to the BBC's lifestyle programme, says that we should be doing 20 or 30 minutes of exercise, such as walking, swimming or gardening, most days of the week. And I will not ask you to raise your hands if you do this. Or, it could be a romance. I'll explain. Maybe a goal in life is to get married. Perhaps you want to be like this Bulgarian bride who was getting married last week in the village of Ribnova, south of Sofia. Although you'd want to wear a slightly different makeup and costume just in case you petrified the groom. And all of these goals have their place. There is, of course, nothing wrong with wanting to develop in your career or see the world or get fit or get married. But what if someone came and asked you the question, what is the central goal in your life? In other words, who or what are you living for? How would you and I respond to that question? You see, how we answer that question will tell us what is the most important thing in our lives. And we're going to think about that question this morning. And to help us do that, we're going to look at the example of someone whose primary ambition in life was very clear. We're going to look at the life of a man named Paul, who lived almost 2,000 years ago. And what we'll see here is that Paul had an unshakable goal. In fact, this goal shaped his whole perspective about life. Now, if you asked him, he'd probably say that he had many desires and ambitions in life. But none were quite as important as this one. So what was this goal? His goal was to advance the gospel. 
One day, as Paul was near in Damascus, he had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was an encounter that transformed his whole life. And so he wanted to know Christ more and more. We find that in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. Paul writes, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. But notice, it didn't end there. Along with knowing Christ, Paul wanted to make Christ known to other people. In other words, his goal was the advance of the gospel. You see, the more Paul got to know Christ, the more he wanted to make Christ known to other people. And those two things always go together. So here's the key question. How do we advance the gospel as individuals and as a church in 2005? We're going to think about that question by looking at Philippians chapter 1 and verses 12 to 14. So let's read these verses one more time. Philippians chapter 1 and verses 12 to 14. And it's on page number 1178 of the Q Bibles. Before we do that, let's first pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit you would help us to understand and to obey your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12. Paul writes, Now I want you, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Paul's goal was to advance the gospel. And there are three key lessons we can learn from Paul's life. And so very simply, we're going to look at each lesson in turn. Here's the first one. Submitting to Christ. Paul is writing a letter to the Philippians. But look where he's writing from. We find out in verse 13. If you look down, Paul writes, I am in chains for Christ. So right at the start, we notice something obvious about Paul's circumstances. He was in a difficult situation. Now Paul was in prison, most likely in Rome, the hub of the Roman Empire. And he finds himself literally in chains for Christ. His wrist was bound 24 hours a day to the wrist of a Roman soldier. Now these particular soldiers were not just ordinary troops. They were the palace guard, the emperor's elite troops. His bodyguard, they were the SES of their day. So why exactly is Paul in prison? Did he commit some terrible crime? No, he didn't. We read in Acts chapter 26 that Paul is in prison because he had appealed to the emperor. Paul had been illegally arrested in the temple in Jerusalem. And he was held as a prisoner 
in Caesarea for two years before being sent to Rome itself. And you can see Paul's journey to Rome on the map on the screen. Now it's important to recognise that Rome was a strategic city. People would travel to Rome for many different reasons. For example, they may have gone to Rome for recreation at the Colosseum. Or maybe they went to study at their famous schools or to work. And so in many ways, Rome was not unlike Edinburgh, apart from the weather. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Every year in the summertime, thousands of visitors visit Edinburgh for the International Festival. And thousands more come to Edinburgh every year to study or to work. And get this, Paul knew the importance of impacting such a strategic city for the Lord Jesus Christ. If Paul could impact the city for Christ, then the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, would also go out beyond Rome itself. Think about that. Isn't that a great vision to have for a city? But look where he finds himself. He's in prison. Now imagine if you were Paul. How would you and I feel? Discouraged? Confused? Defeated? Angry? It just didn't seem fair. He had just wanted to serve God in his life. But now look where he finds himself. He's restricted in his movements. He's unsure of his immediate future. And he could even possibly face death. So here's the challenge Paul faced. Would he trust in God's plan for his life? Could God still use him in this difficult situation? Well, that's what Paul did. He trusted in the sovereignty of God. He trusted in God's will for his life. And he recognised the challenges he faced could not only be seen as a difficult situation, it was also a God-appointed opportunity. And in doing so, Paul shows us what it means to submit to Christ. To borrow the title of Rick Warren's books, his life was purpose-driven. Someone who is purpose-driven is the Australian Steve Irwin, nicknamed the Crocodile Hunter. And you might have seen Steve on television. Now here's how Steve likes to relax. He wrestles live crocodiles. He will go into Australia Zoo with a camera team and he'll pick a fight with a crocodile. You see, that's what they do in Australia. Now Paul was driven by a purpose. And it wasn't to wrestle with live crocodiles. And in verse 12, he makes his purpose in life very clear. What was it? It was the advance of the gospel of Christ. Paul writes, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. The Greek word Paul uses for the advance of the gospel is prokope. And it refers to the removing of barriers that would hinder the progress of an army. And that's what we find here. God gave Paul a unique opportunity. In this unique situation, Paul was able to reach 
two groups of people with the gospel. First were the elite Praetorian guards. Now the guards would change shift every six hours. And therefore different guards would get to know Paul. Therefore it was a great opportunity to build a relationship. And there were also the officials in Caesar's court. Paul was in Rome as an official prisoner. And the Roman government would determine the status of this new Christian sect. And so the gospel would advance in Caesar's court as well. Gordon Fee comments, One can scarcely miss the focus of Paul's concern. Here and always, Christ and the gospel. His present imprisonment has ultimately been to the advantage of the gospel, which is cause for joy. His singular longing regarding his trial is that Christ will be magnified, whether through life or death. So what about us? Let me ask you the question. Do you ever look at your situation and the challenges you face in life and get discouraged? Do you ever feel restricted in what you can do? Remember the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. In their jealousy, Joseph was sold by his brothers as a slave into Egypt. But God in his sovereignty overruled that. He turned it around for good. And so Joseph could say, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And that's what we learn from Paul's life. God works not merely in spite of, but through difficult circumstances. As Howard Hendricks points out, we are all faced with a series of great opportunities, brilliantly disguised as unsolvable problems. It's a great quote. So the gospel is advanced when we submit to Christ. And what we also learn here is the importance of speaking about Christ. Last week, London welcomed a delegation from the International Olympic Committee in a bid to secure the 2012 Olympic Games. Now as it currently stands, London faces a tough challenge from Madrid, Moscow, New York and Paris to host the Games. And so Lord Coe, the chairman of London 2012, was keen to speak about the benefits of having the Games in London. And he promised, London's ambition is not just to be a good Olympic Games, it is to be the best. In advancing the Gospel, Paul knew the importance of speaking about Christ. And something Paul never forget, forgot was the sheer privilege of being a messenger of this gospel. Paul was stuck in prison, and he could easily have moaned. There's something we often moan about, is if our plane is delayed. If we're going on a holiday, the last place we want to be is stuck in an airport. We want to be lying on a beach somewhere, getting golden brown. Well, last week passengers were pleased to hear that new compensation deals have come into force if your plane is delayed or cancelled. And apparently, you can get around £170 if your plane is cancelled. So you have been told. However, Paul didn't moan. I didn't protest his innocence. Instead, 
he talked about a Jew called Jesus, who was crucified at the eastern end of the Mediterranean. And somehow this Jesus had risen from the dead. And according to this prisoner, not only will this Jesus be the judge on the last day, but the only hope of being accepted by God is by trusting in this Jesus. And that's the message that guards would have heard. And that's the message that began to circulate around the palace. And that, Paul insists, is wonderful. There has been an advance in the gospel because I am in chains. And isn't it great that God has made us all different? We had a mission weekend last week here at Charlotte Chapel. And George Berber from OM gave a talk on Saturday night. And it was great. But imagine this. Imagine if there were two George Verwers, Two people wearing those same glowing jackets with the globe all over it. You see, we all have different personalities that affect how we speak about Christ. Just have to look around here at Charlotte Chapel. Some of us have very direct personalities, like George Ferwer. Well, others of us are not quite as direct. But you see, we don't have to apologise for our God-given design. Bill Hybels, the pastor of Willow Creek Church in Chicago, writes helpfully, In the kaleidoscope of God's family, there's room for all gifts and temperaments. God may have given you extraordinary depths of mercy, lots of patience, heights of wisdom, or the ability to enjoy adventure or to thrive in solitude. And somewhere in your community, there's probably a seeker who's one step away from coming to faith, but who needs to come into contact with someone just like you, with your personality, your temperament, your passion, and your interests. So how do you apply this in your own life? Here's a thought. Why not pray for one or two people at your work or in your street? Pray that they will come with you to an evangelistic event in the near future. Get to know them, build a relationship, and invite them along to one of these events. For example, you can invite someone to a guest service here at Charlotte Chapel every third Sunday. And you can invite them to Origins Gospel According to Hollywood to be held in the Usher Hall on the 12th of March. Or you can invite them to the Easter play held in Princess Street Gardens on Easter Saturday. And these are all great opportunities. So we have the privilege of the messenger. And along with this, Paul knew the power of the message of the gospel. Paul writes in his letter to the Romans in chapter 1 verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. So how did Paul know that? From his own personal experience. One day he surrendered his life to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who had died on the cross for him so that he could be forgiven. And he could never forget the grace of God in his own life. And so he writes in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ 
lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And that message of the gospel transforms people's lives. Even the most unlikeliest of people. Listen to what Paul later writes in chapter 4 of Philippians. He writes, All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Amazing! The gospel had reached even into the heart of Caesar's own household. So what does that tell us? Always have a vision for the unlikely. Always have a vision for the unlikely to be saved. Your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, your colleague, even your boss, even your boss, your neighbour, always have a vision for the unlikely. You know, it's possible that you're here and you see yourself as being too unlikely to be saved. Well, that's what Frank Morrison thought. Frank was a lawyer, and he was captured by the strangeness of the resurrection of Christ. And his desire was to try and prove that the resurrection was not true. But guess what happens? He looked at the evidence, and he became a Christian. And he wrote a book, Who Moved the Stone? And it's this same gospel that is changing people's lives all over the world today. The gospel is changing people's lives in places such as China, Russia, Africa, South America. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And that's our desire. And that is why, as a church, we help support, through prayer and financial help, around 40 missionaries operating in 10 different countries of the world. We can echo Paul who wrote to the Christians in Thessalonica, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured just as it was with you. So the gospel is advanced when we submit to Christ and when we speak about Christ. And finally, we see here that the gospel is advanced when we shine for Christ. People are looking for reality. And that's what we find in Paul. We find a life that is authentic. Now you see, Paul's guards were not naive. They weren't like Dougal and Father Ted. And they noticed something. Paul not only spoke about Jesus, his life was genuine. And that's what it means to shine for Christ, our verse for the year. Shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Now, if you look at verse 13, we see what this meant for Paul. He writes, I am in chains for Christ. Literally, this means my chains are in Christ. You see, although Paul is a prisoner for Christ, in his eyes, it is part of his life in Christ. It is part of knowing Christ and sharing in the sufferings of Christ. In other words, he was an authentic Christian. Don Carson comments, Paul proved to be such an extraordinary prisoner and his witness so telling 
The stories about him circulated very quickly. It was not that each of the, each of the Praetorian soldiers took a turn guarding Paul and therefore heard his story from his own lips. Rather, every soldier who was assigned this duty doubtless heard the gospel and perhaps something of his testimony. Lee Strobel was a, was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune. And one day he decided he would go to church with his newly converted wife, Leslie. Now here's what Lee Strobel said about this visit. When I walked into church as a sceptical unbeliever, my hypocrisy antenna was scanning the place for signs that people were just playing church. In fact, I was aggressively on the lookout for phoniness, opportunism, or deception because I felt that if I could find an excuse for rejecting the church on grounds of hypocrisy, I could feel free to reject Christianity as well. However, instead of rejecting Christianity, he embraced the message of Christ. He found Christians who were authentic. And he has written some excellent books, such as The Case for Christ and The Case for Faith. And if you want to explore the evidence for the Christian faith, I would recommend you read these books. Starting tomorrow at 7.30pm, we are launching a new course at this church called Discipleship Explored. And over nine weeks, we will go through the book of Philippines together. And we'll be looking further at what it means to live an authentic Christian life. If you want to find out more about this course, please just go down to the information point in the lounge after the service. But finally, there's something else. In being authentic, Paul's life also had a knock-on effect to other Christians. For in shining for Christ, we also live a life that is contagious, that is distinctive. Paul was writing this letter in the early 60s. And at this time, Nero's madness was peaking. And because Christians would only worship Jesus as Lord, they faced persecution. But look what Paul says in verse 14. The believers in Rome have found new confidence in Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. You see, Paul's passion for the gospel was contagious to other Christians. A couple of years ago, I was over at Wheaton College in the States. And in their library, there is an exhibition of one of their former students, a man called Jim Elliott. And you may know his story. Now, Jim obeyed God's call to go to Ecuador and advance the gospel among the Aka Indians. But one day, Jim and his colleagues were speared to death by the Indians for no apparent reason. However, their example was contagious. Year after year, many Wheaton graduates became missionaries. You see, because of the death of Jim and his team, many were encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. And that's a challenge for all of us who are Christians. Do we live a life that is contagious for Christ? That is distinctive? Do we shine for Christ? Is the verse for the year a reality in our lives. God wants us to shine for Christ. 
Back in 1967, a 17-year-old from Maryland in America went for a swim in Chesapeake Bay. Now, she was someone who enjoyed an active life, and she even hoped of competing in the Olympic Games. But something happened in that lake that day that changed her life completely. Now, the water was murky, and she couldn't see the bottom. And she dived in, and she hit her head on something hard. Now, it left Johnny Erickson Tada paralysed from the neck down. She would spend the rest of her life a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. Today, she can't go to the bathroom by herself. She can't get dressed by herself. And she can't even cry by herself. Someone has to dry her eyes. Her life was wasted, so she thought. But God showed her that was not the case. God transformed her life. You see, the good news of Jesus became the focus of her living. And God has since used her to advance the gospel in over 41 countries throughout the world. Looking back, she said something incredible about her life. She said, I would have to say, what happened when I dived into Chesapeake Bay and broke my neck was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. God used that experience to accomplish so much. The day I, want, I once wanted a raise for my life was the day that paved the way to so much good. Johnny Erickson's passionate desire is to know Christ. And along with knowing Christ, her drive and ambition is to advance the gospel of Christ. That is her central goal in life. So how do we advance the gospel? We submit to Christ. We speak about Christ. And we shine for Christ. And that's a challenge for us as individuals and as a church, Charlotte Chapel, in the heart of the city of Edinburgh. Is our central goal to advance the gospel? Let's pray.